Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer at Sales Gravy, and I'm super excited to not have just one guest today. I have two guests. I hope they don't mind me calling them double trouble, but they're two sisters, <laughs> and they're usually sisters along the way. There's something going on. I also know that these are renegade women right after my own heart. I'm super excited to have today on the show Dr. Stacy Herrera and Sandy Herrera. And before I go into doing a long explanation of either of them or their businesses, I'm actually going to have them both do an introduction because it's really interesting what they're both doing and then how they've brought it together in what's something that uh, Dr. Stacy Herrera calls like the sandbox or the play box. I think that was the phrase play in the sandbox with play in the sandbox together. So ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I'm going to start with you, Dr. Stacy. Can I call you Dr. Stacy or would you like Dr. Herrera? Dr. Stacy tends to be what everyone gravitates towards. And so I've owned it. I also Perfect. work with children. So it tends to be Dr. Stacy. Well, yeah, I thought that might be the case. Yeah, I live in the South now. I'm from Chicago originally. And when I first moved here, everything was like Miss Gina, Miss Stacy, Miss yeah. like, and that was something I was like, it was so different to me. So I just naturally organically went to Dr. Stacy. So Dr. Stacy, I'm going to kick it off to you. Introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. And then we'll pass it on to Sandy. Fantastic. So I am the owner and founder of Herrera Psychology as a licensed school psychologist. Everyone always asks, what school are you at? And school psychology simply means that I have uh, extensive training in working with youth and working within the school setting. So I also own Telement and we are actively partnering with charter schools and youth-focused nonprofits to provide school psychology support as well as support via telehealth. And what's really exciting is that Sandy and I have partnered recently to really create cultures of wellness within our learning environments. And so it's really exciting to see how We've come from such different backgrounds and how we've migrated together to to rephrase the term that Sandy coined, which is us playing in the sandbox together. So I'll let Sandy introduce herself and what led us to kind of doing this work together. And it's super fun to be here. Thanks, Jean. Awesome. Sure. Following Dr. Stacy is sometimes challenging for me, but I am the little sister. So I was going to ask, which was the little sister? I am the little sister. And so when you say, you know, we double trouble, I think that's probably not the first time we've heard that in our lives. You know, it may have come up a few times and I was probably the instigator. So we'll just put that right there is who I am. I am the founder and CEO of Educator Dynamics, and I have been doing school culture transformation for the last 13 years. The first three years of doing that work, I was actually volunteering in schools. I was working for the former and late CEO of Zappos, Tony Shea, his other company called Delivering Happiness that was based on his best-selling book to use happiness as a business model. And we were doing corporate culture transformation. I was running internal culture and internal operations and Google's got a hold of the book and wanted to implement the strategies. So I started volunteering my time because I had a mama fire in my heart that no child should ever have to feel like they're a bad person because they don't fit into a box. And so through that volunteer work, Tony and Jen, the CEO of Delivering Happiness, pushed me up and ensed in 2013 and said, Sandy, you're passionate about it, go build it. And so since then, I've been working with schools across the nation, been working with educators around the world, really helping to empower and inspire them to be the best version of themselves, help them become edupreneurs. And Stacey and I have been working together for the last five years, 
within a school in Florida and the results that we've been able to see, the sustainability and the comprehensive nature of our work together between the youth-focused mental wellness as well as the culture within the school in the adult focus really creates comprehensive, sustainable, positive working and learning environments. And so Stacy and I are partnered together to create our parent company called Humanize EDU. And so we're in the beginning stages of launching that brand that'll be coming for next school year. And are, we'll be shifting the podcast that I've been running into the Humanize EDU podcast and really bringing on some amazing educators that are really doing great work in this space because it will take all of us to really get to the heart and bring the heart back to the center of education of really focusing on the humans. I also have a nonprofit, Genius School US, igniting and fostering the inner genius in all children. And so that is in partnership with the Genius Group, which is a global company. So when, when do you both sleep? <laughs> sleep is a priority. Sleep is a priority to give us energy to do all of the fun things and play in the sandbox. Yeah. And to really live this life from a place of play and I feel like I hit the sister lottery and the fact that we used to pretend play office growing up in our grandparents' backyard and just allows us to now go, we're actually doing this in real life. Why don't we just keep doing this from Ben and <laughs> we would have figured it out. I love it. I love so much about that. I come from a very playful mindset. I think I might have mentioned that earlier. My background in improv for decades has really taught me about imagination and being really open. And I think that's what's made me a really successful creator and innovator is having that mindset of play and how we put that in work and in culture. Sandy, I, you know, I don't think I did enough homework to realize that you had that connection with Tony Shea. I actually, in 2016, maybe, actually went to a Zappos culture camp. Yeah. And yeah, I invested in out of my own pocket in a three-day culture camp. I talk about it so much. I actually I invested in that because of the work I was doing in my own company that I really wanted to kind of look behind the curtain on how we could foster better cultures in companies. And so I still talk about it, live and breathe it. That'll be another conversation for us <laughs> later down the road. But I think this is so imperative talking about creating healthy cultures in the workplace that you start at the education and child level so that we're actually fostering really good human beings. I'm assuming you guys are both on the same page with that, and that's why you're doing this. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit more about, you used the phrase, school culture transformation. What does that mean? Who wants to take that one? As we know, schools right now are at a really pivotal point. There are statistics out there where we can discuss how broken the school system is at this time from multiple angles. And what we understand is that if we don't start with the basics of getting aligned behind a unified vision and values that we can't agree on how to move forward. We have no idea what we're targeting or what our goals are. And children intuitively sense when the adults in the building are not unified. And just as your teenagers will test your limits, <laughs> all of the children will test the limits of the school and the system itself and trying to understand the purpose of education. Mm. 
So Sandy has done some fantastic work. And what I've recognized as we have supported schools and their behavioral health services for youth is that if you don't have the adults in the building unified behind a shared vision and able to communicate and have those conscious or what is often referred to as hard conversations, mm-hmm. we can't move forward and we can't continue to support the youth because right now they are in a crisis and we have to start with the adults. Sandy, do you want to add to that? I don't know how to. It really is uh, about focusing on the environment that we're creating. And when we look through all of our senses, there's one, one piece of my curriculum that I teach on the six senses of culture. And if we plan a dinner party, right? We think through all of our senses for planning a dinner party, for planning a vacation. You know, what are we doing? Where are we going? When are we having it? What's the music going to be like? What food are we going to experience? What's the vibe going to be? Is it going to be a backyard barbecue? Is it going to be, you know, a fancy black tie affair? Where are we at? And yet in our learning environments, there are teachers that create incredible spaces within their classrooms. But when we look at the school as a whole, that's not often done. Mm. Not often from the moment you walk in, you're walking into an experience. And those schools that do that intentionally, that really look through the details of this is who we are and this is how we do things here, rooted in the common values, rooted in that common language of all of everyone's core values, not just values they agree with, because we can all value honesty, for example. Honesty is a good thing. The majority of humans can agree that honesty is a good thing. And so if someone steals the last cookie from the cookie jar and someone who has who values honesty is like, hey, you took the last cookie. And then the, someone's like, well, I didn't do it. And you're like, ah, no big deal. But if you have a core value of honesty, mm-hmm. then the, if someone says, I didn't do it, it is a visceral, full body reaction to like, that is not OK. We don't lie. And so that's when we really get to the heart of teaching what is a core value. And who are we on our best day? Not some aspirational values of who we dream to be. Who are we on our best day? And put those together. Now we have this foundation from which to infuse into the positive behavior intervention systems, into the classroom management, into rewards and disciplines, into everything of what it's like to be a member of that school community. And our work is usually three to five years to to get the comprehensive, sustainable results that we're looking for. Yeah. And I was just going to say, it's not going to be sustainable at the individual teacher level, right? Like you described of, you know, I can create that culture in a classroom, but if it's not supported by the ecosystem, right, then what's the point? And eventually, I'm just thinking about this from a corporate standpoint, you could have a set of values that you live by and that the company says they live by. But if the company is actually not living by them, and I'm alone on the island, eventually that's going to wear me down. And I would assume the same would be the case for a teacher. Exactly. And unfortunately, we are seeing a mass exodus of teachers in the profession for a myriad of reasons. And at the core of it is that we're not valuing the adults in our buildings. We say we do, but in the actions, the vast majority, and this is not a 100% blanket statement because there are schools that are doing this really well, But when we look systemically and we look at the percentages of schools that do not have healthy cultures, do not have healthy working and learning environments, far outweighs the number that do. Yeah. What 
How do you, gosh, I've got so many questions around this. How do you take this on? I'm sure you guys have, you're working. That's why you're doing what you're doing because you're trying to actually create this in an environment that is often kind of constricted by government and rules and bureaucracy and red tape and in some cases unions. And there's so much going on with that. You know, what is your approach in getting these schools into the mindset of creating culture? Really, for me, it's what are we fighting for versus what are we fighting against? And when we look through that lens and we look at the overall well-being of every individual within every school community, and that's what we're fighting for, that allows us to really cultivate this garden, this playground where educators are joining our community, schools are joining our community, and we're empowering them, inspiring and influencing them, because it truly is that, that everyone has their own inner genius. And when you show them what it is, and you show them how to celebrate it within themselves and celebrate the genius in everyone else, and you get to have those effective communication conversations, those hard conversations, those crunchy conversations, whatever you want to call them, it that's the heart of it is building and growing trust amongst the humans that are doing the work on a day-to-day basis, not only trusting themselves, but each other. Dr. Stacy, It really is a grassroots movement, understanding that we've attempted to go top down and have conversations with superintendents and districts, and they say it, it sounds good, but really it's the educators and then the educators who are then promoted to principals and the principals who are then promoted to district level folks who have engaged with us that truly see the value in it and understand that it is a long journey. It is not a short and pivotal pendulum in education that's shifting and we're just going to come in and do a one-day workshop on, on culture and talk about how it's going to strengthen the well-being and the mental health of all of the individuals in the building, right? It is a long play. And with the long play, it's a gathering, it's a community building, it's just a slow process. So I will not say that there are not days that I call Sandy crying with like, how is it possible? We are still talking about the same issues. We have the solution. If we just rallied together, we could make so many beautiful changes. Why is this not happening at such a rapid pace? And that really speaks to, I think, our level of passion and our ability to see it and therefore want it to be in its physical presence quickly. And yet we have to understand that this is a long game and the the things that we're sparking right now will make changes as these generations grow older. Why, Why is it such a long game and why isn't it happening fast enough? Because it is a system within our society. Well, globally, really. We've spoken to educators globally. Sandy, who through her trainings, I have done some trainings with global educators, and we're all saying the same thing. The system of education is broken, and we need to reevaluate it. Everyone has ideas about how they want to do that. Some people want to go back to the basics. Some people want to revert to how it was. And what we have to begin to understand is things have changed and morphed in such a way that reverting to something in the past is not necessarily going to serve us moving forward. Yeah. Our way of parenting has changed. The access that children have to knowledge, 
right, instantaneous through tiny little devices in their hands has changed in such a way. The introduction of chat GPT has really accelerated things in such a way that we have to begin to understand and unify behind an idea that we're creating critical thinkers in education. We're creating individuals who can collaborate and work together. We're creating individuals who understand their own set of personal strengths and weaknesses and are lifelong learners. And that it's not just this, oh, you have your diploma and then you're done, right? Idea and mindset. And so just shifting into that more holistic view of what a learner is, I think would make a huge difference. But because we're battling over what it looks like in the future, I think that's why we're stalling. It sounds so Go ahead, Stacey. The other piece to that is, is that as parents, the last place you will quote unquote gamble or take risks is with your children. And so when we think about having a child who is struggling in school, I was doing this with my son, who's now 21. You just have to get the diploma. Just check the box, dude. I get it. But we live in a society that without a high school diploma, it limits your opportunities. And so you just have to do it. Like, I, I understand it. This is not the style of learner that you are, the way that the school structure is built. Unfortunately, you just have to do the thing, son. You have to do the thing. And yet knowing that the future of education is more personalized learning pathways, more like really looking at the whole human and what it looks like to be a lifelong learner and really setting up those systems instructions. So as parents, there's fear around pulling our kids out and going, you know what? You don't have to get a high school diploma. It's fine. It's fine because the world's not going to need it 10, 20, 50 years from now. I don't know when. I don't have that crystal ball, but I do know that it's coming, that certain pieces of paper will not be valued the same way that they have been valued for generations. And so once we as a society can shift that, and that's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. The school movement is on the rise. The charter school movement's on the rise. The private schools, right? So looking at all of these alternatives and having and through the pandemic has allowed a lot of parents and a lot of kids to take back their power of who they are as lifelong learners and begin to make different decisions. Those different decisions will lead to the future of education actually being healthy. Walk me through what it looks like if there's a school that's actually interested or you're pursuing a school. Let's take it step one. What do you currently do to get schools on board with this? What does that approach look like? Because really everything we do is about persuading people to consider something, which is sales. So what's step one of this process? Sandy has the degree in business and therefore I lean on her (laughs) when it comes to all these things. She's also really great at introducing me to other learning opportunities through Genius Group. We are going through this Wealth Dynamics and Gap program where I am just feeling like I'm gaining an MBA without actually attending school. It's a perfect partnership. It is. It has to be. <laughs> yeah. And again, we balance each other really well and knowing each other's strengths. And so really one of the first pieces, often the schools that work with us have been referred to us. Okay. If we're talking like sales 101, our referral sources are tremendous, whether that's through community partners, whether that's through schools we've worked with. So then when we, t- when we think about like, well, what's the first step is we'll have, a, we'll have a conversation, we'll have a culture chat. 
And that culture chat can be a quick 15 minute thing that can lead into a full culture audit strategy session where we'll spend an hour, sometimes 90 minutes with a school leader. Sometimes their administrative team joins as well. And we'll go through and share value with them. What can they do to design their culture on purpose? What are some culture quick wins that they can do to implement? We'll assess what's working, what's not working. What are they experiencing right now? What are their challenges? What are their wins? How are they celebrating those wins? How have they already planned to tackle those challenges? So it's really a learning opportunity for Mm -hmm. us to see whether we're aligned in, in our values to be able to be working with them. Because a school has to be ready to go through this culture transformation. And sometimes if they're not quite ready, we will do a one day workshop. We will do, you know, a special virtual session or depending on where we are in the world, it may be in person. And so those really just allowing them to become a part of the community, whether they're just simply ready to listen to the podcast or they're simply ready to follow our blogs and our newsletters. But over time, I just I had a principal. She's now a principal. She's been there for two years. She's going into her second year. And she was a teacher who had seen me speak at different schools over the years. And I didn't know her. And she reached out and said, hey, I'm having culture challenges. I already trust you. I already know you. Fantastic. Years ago, I was just, again, curious about the process, right? Because culture, I have often experienced, you know, that's the one reason why I went and did the Hosapos thing. I'm like, how do I sell this concept? To, to businesses on culture. Early on in my business, I was doing a lot of team building. And at one point, I took the word team building off the website because I couldn't take it anymore every time somebody would call and say, we want a team building event. And then, you know, we talk about, okay, what do you want to get out of this? What are the outcomes? What's the desirable ROI? And it was, we don't know, everybody doesn't get along. So we just want to get together for a couple hours and have fun. And we would go through this whole process, right? And you, I know you understand what I'm talking about. And even when it would come time for the proposal of what it was going to cost, and sometimes there'd be a sticker shock, well, if it's going to cost this much, I'll just take them to a bar for happy hour. And I'll never forget that response and reaction. I'm like, you're just missing the point here, right? Like whenever people, I'm like, that's it, no more team building. Because it was so frustrating to me that to me, team building If somebody raised their hand and said, we want team building, I was like, okay, there is an issue. There's Mm -hmm. some kind of core issue, but they don't know how to articulate it. And they actually don't know what the core root problem is. They just know something's not right. Right. Can you relate to that from a school? So much so. From a school, from the therapy sessions, it's all about being able to define what is the problem we're trying to solve, right? Mm Mm-hmm. In, in selling anything, you're solving someone's problem. Right. I think there's an added layer for us in that when talking about well-being and then talking about youth mental health, there are layers of trust that have to be built and that takes time. It's important that they've heard about us three different times before they're even willing to reach out. Because again, that's there's something trustworthy about the fact that three different people have heard of it or used us or engaged with our services. Yeah, I would imagine that con- then that conversation of the results from it and then people talk about it and then the others hear it and they're like, we need that thing. What's mm-hmm. that thing? Right. Like it's yes. kind of this squishy thing, I would imagine, is a little more challenging to explain why they need it, mostly because they don't understand what they need. 
Right. Right. It's essency at first. And until you actually bring it down into what we call consensus reality, we all agree this is a desk kind of conversation that it's intangible. And they're like, I know I need something. I just don't know what it is. And so once you can bring it down into common language of yeah. building and growing trust, well, what does that mean? I want team building. What does that mean? What does that look like? And leading with curiosity with them, really that that often is the piece that unlocks the, oh my God, I have to work with you. Just through our own curiosity of asking them what they mean by using certain words. And then we can get the, to the heart of what they're really looking for. And sometimes it's still surface level until you get their entire leadership team together and you ask again, what does team building look like for you, for example? Or what yeah. does, you know, positive culture mean to you? What is that in your dream land? And then let's look at your current reality. What's working? What's not? And then let's design your future with that information. Yeah. And you hit it on the head too when you pull other people in. Again, I go back to the sales aspect of how I, every, I look through a sales lens on things because again, it's really about persuading people to take an action, right? Whether it's sales or not sales, we're always trying to persuade people to take an action, to do something. And in, and Often it requires getting the buy-in and consensus from many stakeholders. And each stakeholder has a different desired outcome, right? And it's like getting them all on the same page. And that's so true even to take it a layer beyond sales is into a school community when the currency is different. And enrolling the parents, enrolling the students, enrolling mm -hmm. community partners, enrolling the support professionals that work in our buildings, you know, is really part of the pieces of creating the school's core values is we don't just create them with the adults in the building. We actually teach what is a core value. How is it at play every day? How do you know whether you're living in alignment with it or not? How do you articulate it? And we teach that to every group within the school community to get to that place of the consensus of, yes, this is who we are. Because now when we're actually infusing those values into daily life, there's been that buy-in throughout the process. It's a six month to one year process to actually articulate a school's core values. Yeah, I bet. So, so you get the interest, you go in, you do this assessment, you have these meetings. They're like, yeah, let's move forward. Just kind of give me a, a an overview of what that looks like once you start working with a school, what kinds of things do you do to move them to their goals? So there's several things that, that I do on the culture side, but there's also things that Stacy does on the wellness and well-being side for the youth, as well as for the adults and really doing professional development with the adults on how to implement some social emotional strategies. I'll let her talk about that, Stacey, if you want to start there. It's really about defining what is the mental health plan or the well-being plan within a school setting and understanding that we have to have the universal screening of some kind or the ability for everyone in the building to be able to say, yes, this student appears to be under a high degree of stress or this student appears to need certain accommodations or direct service in some way. And then understanding, okay, once we've established how we're going to assess that, then what are the small groups that we're going to be able to build within the school setting to support the emotional well-being? Because we know that for a, every hour that we put in to social emotional learning, 11 hours of academic learning are gained. Because if we're not in the right mindset to be learning, right, our brains are shut down and unable to move forward and access the information that's being shared. Hmm. So it's really important that these children have 
the, the tools, the skills. And for us to really understand within the building that when a child has a behavior that is not expected or not anticipated in the current realm, then there's a skill deficit. So there's something missing. They don't know how to. Because innately, we as humans want to please. We want to learn. We are ever-growing beings. So there's something interrupting that. And really just going through those tiers of support to understand, do you need a small group? Do you need a one-on-one sessions? What is that? So that child can access the education that they need in order to be a citizen of our country, a citizen of our world and moving through that. So it's just understanding that overall plan is really important. And it's through working with the schools that we would understand that the educators didn't know exactly how to teach some of those emotionally regulating skills because they themselves didn't have it, right? And so then understanding how we needed to bring in the adult aspect and the ability to have the hard conversations with teachers who may not be able to teach these emotional skills. Well, how are you going to have that conversation, right? Are you going to say, oh, you need to go and get help? Are you going to say, oh, you need to go like cure your inner child? How are you going to say that to the teacher? And it's important for us to create a culture in which we're all able to learn and creating that. And that's where Sandy's work comes in. When we bring them together and we actually design the roadmap for the year, we start with first year, you know, we tease like the high level of what we're going to do in years two through five. But in, in year one, it's really about designing the roadmap of what, who, and when. And so what are we doing? What are our outcomes? What are we expecting? Who's at the table for each of those modules? And then when are we going to do that? You know, what's that going to look like? Some of it will be in person. Some of it will be virtual and really laying the structure out so that they can then build it into their master calendar, right? Because that meeting them where they're at is very rigid to call it what it is, right? Um, must do it this way, right? And to be able to meet them there and then within each workshop, whether it's an hour or three hours long or a full day in person, we're delivering different modules and working with different humans within the system and unlocking them in different ways. One of the things is Stacey was talking about how the adults actually then teach. So one of the first things we're doing is having the adults articulate their own core values. So we're teaching them and they're articulating their own. And then we have a basic framework of a lesson plan for them to teach the students what is a core value and then how do they articulate their own. But that piece is often a really big challenging roadblock. And so bringing in Stacy's team and being able to partner at that moment so then not only am I setting the container for the culture piece where it's safe to actually talk about your own core values and walking the adults through that, but now there's a different layer in teaching them how to then teach it. And some teachers, are, it's a, they're a natural. It's super easy. And they're like, yep, this is great. Oh my God, I've been waiting for this. I'm so glad we're doing this. And then there's other teachers that are like, just tell me what to do and I'll just do it. And then I walk into those classrooms while they're delivering their lesson. Excuse me. And the students are doing something different. Yeah. They wrote something down on a piece of paper and turned it in. Yeah. There's no real learning, real curiosity, real introspection. There's no dynamic discussion going on. There's, there, there's not that, the heart behind why we're doing what we're doing. And again, those are blocks that we have to navigate through as we start working together. Because those teachers haven't bought into the whole program mm. and they're resistant in general. 
And some of those resistances come from, like Stacey said, the fact that's just not where they're at in their life. And their thinking is, I'm paid to teach math, for example, not paid to teach them how to behave. They will behave and I'm here to teach them math. And coming in with that mindset is already creating an energetic block between them and the child. And I'm sure you've seen this at Zappos, right? Like having to do that changeover in culture and everything that Zappos had in place to recruit properly and then retain. I think with the schools, you're probably going to start to see that too, that their cultural change will lead to a change in how they recruit those teachers. Would that be fair? Every time that layer of challenge within a school, because at Zappos, it's like hire slow, fire fast. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily possible within a school building. You have children who need someone to be leading that class, that group. You're a principal. You can't have all, you know, I've got high schools that I work with that have three to 4,000 students. You yourself cannot navigate that many students. It, no matter how skilled you are, you can do it for maybe an yeah. hour assembly, but that's about it. And so you need those other teachers. And if you don't have them showing up, you can tend to hire fast. And sometimes your gut instincts will reveal that it really wasn't good values alignment along the way. And I tell them, you know, it, you get to have conversations with teachers about them being empowered and say, you get to be happy. Go be happy. Like if this isn't the place for you and you're not yeah. happy, I'm not offended. How can I help you go be happy? Yeah. There, there are ways to cultivate a healthy culture even within the constraints of it. How long have you been together working on this? This is fairly new, yes? So this work in actually doing sales for it, yes, is fairly new. In terms of us having worked together with this one school for the past five years, we've been okay. doing a collaboration. So really over the last year, it's been, okay, we should probably like take this seriously and be putting together our pitch deck for schools. And Okay. What kind of advice would you give listeners as far as from an entrepreneur standpoint? You're, you've both been entrepreneurs on your own. Now you're bringing it together in something that I think is amazing work, but certainly can't be the easiest to take on. What's some advice that you could provide? I'll start with you, Dr. Stacy. It's definitely walking the walk, right? So thankfully, Sandy has been able to come into my own organization and provide us with culture work and a culture playbook and clearly defining all of the core values within my organization, which has allowed us to retain in this time frame when a lot of mental health professionals are burnt out and seeking their own path, right, in order to really gain really awesome people who are aligned with core values and aligned with the business and the service level that we're providing is really important. And so just continuously saying, okay, but is this in alignment with the company's core values? Does this work for us? How are we having those conscious conversations? One of the things that has come out through our retreats is that we are raw, honest, and it's come to be, this is a rawnesty moment. So everyone will say like, I'm just going to be raw and honest right now. And through that, there is such growth and we're able to meet expectations within the organization. And so just being very clear around our values, communicating that and saying we're going to, with integrity, right, we're going to do what we're going to say we're going to do is so valuable. 
and being constant learners. Like we're just, we're figuring this out as we go. Love it. Love it. Sandy, what about you? Advice that you would give other entrepreneurs building their businesses? I want to take it to the partnership level. Being someone who's been on my own with just a small operations team for the last 10 years and now going into partnership with my sister who has a bigger team is an opportunity to challenge my own leadership. It's an opportunity to really embrace the merging of cultures between us and doing it from a place of honesty and authenticity and transparency has been really key. Stacey and I started these conversations lightly over vacation, but summer, when when I just teed it up and then we just let it simmer for a while. And then once we decided, you know what, let's do this, we had our own team alliance conversation, which is an exercise I take a lot of teams through in deciding what is each of our intentions in coming together? What's our purpose? What do we each want out of this situation? And the team alliance tool you can use in one-on-one conversations or, or bigger picture things. So for us, it was looking at the bigger picture And so then from that intention, okay, what's going to make us flourish in order to achieve these intentions? Who are we each going to show up as in order to flourish? What's this going to look like together? What do we need from one another? And then have the conversation. What about when it gets hard? When it gets edgy? When it gets, because inevitably it will. Who are we each going to commit to showing up as when it gets hard? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to have those conversations? And let's define that. And then going into, okay, is there anything else we need from each other in order to feel successful in our partnership? And then ending with them, will we celebrate these things when they are happening? And do we both commit to that? And will we ask for these things when they aren't happening? And will we commit to that? And then being able to kind of seal that between us with a hug and in different operating environments, it might be a fist bump, whatever it is. <laughs> but to be able to check back in with that team alliance and go, how are we doing? What is working for us? What's not working for us? Do we want to change anything. And doing that from a neutral, proactive place, and again, practicing what we preach. These are tools and skills and strategies that we teach others. We get to actually own it and, you know, step up and live our lives and our businesses on purpose. I, uh, my takeaway on that one, because I'm always like looking for my own nuggets that I can use, but I love this like what am I going to, how am I going to show up when we have to have hard conversations? Like how pivotal is that? Like to think about it from that perspective, we don't want to approach things and think of that because we might think of it as negative and go into a negativity bias. But what a really amazing way to kind of think about, like, let's have the ground rules now on what that's going to look like and then hold each other accountable. I know before I married my current husband, hopefully, this will be my last husband. We both had multiple marriages but before us, my second, his third. But we specifically during our courtship said, we're going to go through premarital counseling before we get married because we wanted to be able to identify ahead of time any challenges that could come up and how are we going to handle them when they do actually come up because they will. And it was so pivotal for both of us. I know that's taking it from a personal angle, but I think thinking about partnership in general and business, that's pretty powerful. I know we have to wrap up. I don't want to go without talking about, you've written a book together called Unpacking Bliss, The Suitcase Theory of Life. I'd love to give me a rundown of that because I don't want you either of you leaving without talking about your book and promoting it. Cool. I'm going to give that two seconds teaser and Stacy does a much better job of describing it. So my two such teaser is 
(laughs) We spend the first half of our life packing shit on and the second half unpacking it to get to the core of who we truly are. And this is our sisterhood journey of how we've learned that and how we've navigated it along the way. Stacy does a much better job of describing it. Do you want to add to that, Dr. Stacy? It's a book that we've written to ourselves 10 years ago. And we take the reader through our journey of integrating all of the wisdom that we've learned along the way to sink into those blissful moments, understanding that it's practice, it's not a final destination, and it's an opportunity to really celebrate all of the little things that are going well in order to amplify those and feel as if we are on the pathway to bliss. Love it. I love it. And where could people get your book? It should be ready this summer. It is with the publisher. And so we've got a few more final things until we actually have it in our hands that people can get. Okay. Awesome. Well, when it is ready, let me know and we'll promote it out for you as well. Thank Thank you. you. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. We only scratched the surface. What you're doing is so fascinating. I'd love to have you back. We could dig a little bit deeper. For our listeners who are listening, if they want to reach out to either one of you or both of you, or there's maybe somebody listening from a school that is like, oh gosh, I need to know more about that. What is the best way to connect with both of you? I'll start with you, Dr. Stacy. My contact information is telementherapy.com. You can also reach me at drstacyherrera.com. Awesome. Sandy. And for me, it's educatordynamics.com or sandyherrera.com. Awesome. Thank you, ladies, so much for being here on The Women Your Mother Warned You About today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Sure. And listeners, our dear Warners, thank you for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. And if you're a salesperson or an entrepreneur trying to up-level your game in sales, go check out salesgravy.university. We have over 200 courses, both live and self-paced, some of which I have created. So go check that out, salesgravy.university. And for more about this show, check out womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com. And we'll see you on the next show. And by the way, you can now watch this show on YouTube. So go find that. We'll see you soon. Bye.